Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router, and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
good, boys and girls. Two-footed podcast on Monday, the 15th of May. Hope you've all had a nice weekend. The sun is shining, which is good. And we have football tonight, which is also good. Although, if you're a Liverpool fan, it could be a harrowing evening if things don't go well. Uh, Just a reminder, if you are of a Celtic persuasion, we do now have the Boise Bus as part of the EPL podcast network. So do check that out. Uh, recent interview there with Kenny Dogleash. For anyone that's interested in, in hearing that one, if you're a Liverpool fan, you might take interest in it as well to hear the King speak. Uh, but, you know, good times for them. They did lose to Rangers the weekend in, in a meaningless game because the title's over and Celtic are champions. And when it mattered, Celtic got the point they needed at Ibrox. Anyway, we'll move on to the Premier League and not sing too much about Celtic being champions and Rangers winning nothing. Uh, Leeds 2. Newcastle 2 in the Premier League in the early kickoff on Saturday. Luke Ayling put Leeds 1 up on 7 minutes, tapping home from short range after a good save by Pope. The ball broke to Ayling and he put it in the net. Leeds should have gone 2-0 up. Junior Firpo tripped in the box, penalty to Leeds, up steps Patrick Bamford, And it's a really, really poor penalty and an easy save for Nick Pope. Within two minutes, Junior Firpo decides that having won a penalty at one end, he would give another penalty away at the other end. Just awful. Awful. Now, Wober is the one who commits the foul, but it is basically from the Furpo error where the penalty occurs. Uh, Callum Wilson steps up and puts it in the bottom corner. Perfect penalty. In the second half, uh, Furpo goes one better and handballs for reasons not only to himself to give Newcastle another penalty. Again, Wilson, who's about to be subbed off, steps up. He scores again, straight down the middle this time. And 2-0, sorry, 2-1 to the tune. It looked, for all intents and purposes, like the tune would go on and win the game. Rasmus Christensen, with a deflected half volley that hit Kieran Trippier square in the forehead and deflected into the net, made it 2-2. With about 11 minutes plus stoppage time left, Newcastle threw everything forward. Firpo decided to just compound his afternoon with a very, very silly challenge on Anthony Gordon. Luckily for him, it was just outside the box and not in the box. He got himself a straight red. Having been booked earlier in the game, this was a straight red for a last-man foul. So he will be suspended for the next game. Uh, but I assume it's just a one-game suspension anyway, like it would have been on the two on the two yellows. So it doesn't really matter for him. Uh, it might be better for Newcastle if he's not in the team because he is a liability defensively. Um, the game ended 2-2. And frankly, this was... This was disappointing from Newcastle. The performance wasn't good. Leeds weren't great by any stretch, but they worked really hard. But Newcastle just struggled to really create anything in open play. Uh, Leeds were better defensively than they have been for most of the season. There's two fullbacks are still a liability, but Christensen and Vober looked really good in the centre, and Robin Cox sat in front and protected them, and then um, Weston McKenney was able to go box to box and win a lot of ball high up the field, which suits his game. Uh, Newcastle stay third, 
but they've allowed Manchester United to catch them now. Three games left, a lot of pressure on Newcastle, and performances like yesterday won't get them Champions League football. Their magic number is five, likely five, maybe six, depending on the scores in the Liverpool games. So Newcastle have 66 points, Liverpool have 62. Liverpool can play, have three more games to play and can get 91. Newcastle, if they get nine, sorry, can get 71. If Newcastle gets 71, they their goal difference likely gets them in above Liverpool. Unless Liverpool hammer a few teams. Ideally for Newcastle, they're going to want to get to 72 just to be safe. Now, if Brighton beat Newcastle on Thursday, Newcastle have to win their last two games. And that does add a lot of pressure. They've got Brighton home, Leicester home, Chelsea away. It's tougher than it looks on paper, especially after what Brighton did yesterday, but we'll come to that. For Leeds, they're still in the bottom three, but they are giving themselves a bit of a fighting chance. They're one point behind Everton and three behind Forest. They've got a similar goal difference to Everton. They're minus 25, Everton are minus 24. They have a significantly better goal difference than Forest, who are minus 31. So if they can manage to pull off a win and Forest lose both of their last two games, Leeds can overtake them. Last two games for Leeds, West Ham away, that's going to be tough. But but if West Ham get by Alkmaar, maybe they just rest everybody for the remaining Premier League games and focus on that Europa League final, Europa Conference League final. And then Spurs at home on the final day. You wouldn't put a pass Leeds to win that game. They have a chance of staying up. They genuinely have a chance of staying up. Moving on then into the 3 p.m. kickoffs. Southampton nil, Fulham 2. Uh, Carlos Vinicius on 48 minutes and Alexander Mitrovic on 72. Uh, an insepid performance by Southampton, who are now relegated with not even not even a, a shouting, a, a fighting shout made, just a whimper. They go down whimpering, and that's really disappointing. Southampton, for me, are a Premier League club. They've been there since the beginning. They've obviously gone up and down. They've been in League One at one point, but they found their way back. They've established themselves And decisions made internally this year are what's caused them. The appointment of Nathan Jones was a disaster. The decision to give the job to a completely unqualified Ruben Sellers was a disaster. Their senior players just haven't performed this year, and it was the same case again at the weekend. And the young players will take the brunt of the blame because that's just what happens, because senior players are held in high regard regardless of whether they've earned it or not. Just because a fellow's been around for a long time, it's assumed he's more worthy than a young player. But if you look at that team that went out there yesterday, Lavia and Alcaraz are the only two young players in that Southampton team. And Lavia was the only player that seemed to give a crap. Alcaraz, to his credit, did run a lot and and thought he'd scored. Uh, but was called back for offside. But 
the senior players were just garbage. Utter, utter garbage. And I'm really not sure why Alex McCarthy's in goal. I don't know why Bednarak and Leanku are the, are the centre-back pairing right now because they haven't been good. Now, Coletta Carr hasn't been good either, so, you know, it is what it is. But Ward-Prowse has been dreadful this season. Walcott's been dreadful. Armstrong's been dreadful. Uh, Onoachu, who they brought in in January, just hasn't, hasn't worked at all. They've got a lot of tough decisions to make this summer. I would love to see, absolutely love to see them say, you know what, we're not selling any of the young lads. Lavia is staying, Bella Kotchup is staying. We're keeping all of these young players. Ward-Prowse, you can go. Bednarak, you can go. Walcott, Armstrong, Oli is out. Che Adams, whoever else, out. We're going to rebuild with this young core. And we're going to do it properly this time. We're going to get a manager in. It's going to play a balanced style of football, possession-based, develop these players, and we're going to come back up a much, much better outfit. I don't have much faith. For Fulham, it's another good win. It means that barring Chelsea winning all three, of their final games and Fulham failing to pick up more than one point in their final two games, Fulham will finish in the top half. It's back-to-back wins after a run of, I think, seven defeats in nine. So they are picking things back up. Great to have Mitrovic back. Great to see him scoring again. And hopefully he can, you know, have a good end to the season, maybe with a couple of goals against Palace and a hat-trick at Old Trafford. Wouldn't that be fantastic, given that was the scene of his red card, which cost him eight games. Um, We'll move on to Chelsea 2, Nottingham Forest 2. Massive credit to Nottingham Forest here. They go one up through a 1E on 13 minutes. They hold that that lead till half time. Chelsea don't really threaten them. A couple of half chances. Keylor Navas makes a couple of decent saves. But second half, Chelsea came flying out at them and Raheem Sterling scored on 51 and 58 to put the Blues ahead. And you thought, just another tough day at the office for Forrest. But on 62 minutes, a 1E equalises. It's a deserved equaliser. And Forrest managed to hang on and get a point. And Steve Cooper will be thrilled. That is a bonus point. I don't think that's one he was counting on. Now, they still have work to do. They're on 34 points. Ideally, they need to win one of their last two. And with Palace away on the final day, maybe they can go there and win. But a draw will probably be enough for them. A draw is probably enough to keep them up. They've also got Arsenal to play. That's next. And you just don't know what mindset Arsenal are going to turn up in especially after what happened yesterday. And maybe Forrest, maybe Forrest can grind out a draw at home. They've been pretty good at home this season. The vast majority of their points have come at home. So maybe they can take something at home against the Gunners and go into that last day knowing that they're not safe, but close to it. A lot obviously depends on the results of the other teams. 
if Leicester lose tonight and lose to Newcastle, Leicester are no longer a threat to Forest. They just have to worry about Leeds and about Everton. But perhaps Leeds draw with West Ham. Everton lose potentially at Wolves. And Forrest with a draw against Arsenal would mean that going into that last day, a draw against Palace definitely keeps them up. Chelsea, 11th. Sooner this season ends for them, the better, to be honest. This season has been just a catastrophic failure. Uh, They get City away next, then United away, and then Newcastle home. It's a very tough run in. But hopefully for their sake, they can take, you know, maybe a point at Old Trafford and maybe a point at home to Chelsea, uh, to, to Newcastle. Wouldn't expect them to get anything at the Etihad next weekend. Uh, moving on, Aston Villa 2, Tottenham 1. This was a big game in the battle for Europe. Now, Tottenham are still ahead of Villa on goal difference and probably have the easier run in, though that last day trip to Leeds. They get Brentford home next and then Leeds away. Games they should win, but you just can't trust this Spurs team. Villa's last two are tough. They get Liverpool away, and then they get Brighton at home. That's really tough. So as things stand, it would be Villa that gets squeezed out of the European spots, which would be a blow, but they'd be taking far more positives than negatives from this season, given how they've done under Unai Emery. And it was really good to see them bounce back with a win after the back-to-back defeats. Uh, Jacob Ramsey put them on their way early, eight minutes in, really nicely worked team goal. Uh, good work from Leon Bailey to set him up. And then on 72 minutes, Douglas Louise put them two up from a free kick. Harry Kane pulled them back on 90 from the penalty spot after what I thought was a very blatant dive by Harry Kane. One Spurs a penalty. Uh, it was too little too late, though. And 2-1 it ended. But Spurs still have the upper hand based on a two-goal difference in the goal column and we'll see how things go the rest of the way. Villa could easily lose both games. On the flip side, they could win both games. They're capable of winning both games. They're capable of going to Anfield and beating Liverpool. They're capable of beating Brighton at home. But they're both very tough games. I wouldn't say there's much chance of Spurs losing both games. I could see a draw and a loss, but Again, they're capable of winning both games. They should win both games. Spurs should beat Brentford. And they should beat Leeds. That's a significantly easier run-in than what Villa have. We'll move on. Manchester United 2, Wolves nil. This was one of the duller games of the season. United had loads of chances. Loads of them. And... They found David Bentley in goal in absolutely inspired form. Um, it didn't speak well that Jose Sal was left out of this game. Not really sure what that was about. Maybe just to give Bentley a game, I don't know. But surely you keep Jose Sal on the team for a trip to Old Trafford. Um, that team that started, though, other than... Other than Dawson, who's just not very good, 
And Gomes at left back, I wouldn't be a huge fan of, but I'm not a fan of Hugo Bueno and Ray Nuri is currently out. But Kilman, Semedo Kilman, both pretty good. Nunes, Neves, Lamina and Neto is a, is a really strong midfield. And if they could keep that midfield for next season, I think that's something to build from. You've got Matthias Cunha. You'll have Kalasic back next season. They might add another forward player. Get Nuri back in the team. Get Collins back in the team. Probably have to get a new right back because Semedo's at a contract. The big question mark is Ruben Neves. But there is a good team there at Wolves. There's a team that they can build from. And, you know, they've had an up and down season, obviously, but they're they're 13th, they're safe. Two games left. Home to Everton. They'll want to win that one. They will want to win at home to Everton. And their home form has been good. Since losing to Leeds in March, they've beaten Chelsea, Brentford, Palace and Villa in consecutive home games. I think they'll... I think they'll want to put on a good performance against Everton in that last game at home. Then they go away to Arsenal in the final day and you wouldn't expect them to get much there. Uh, For Manchester United, this keeps them in the top four. They are fourth. Four points clear of Liverpool with the same number of games played. Their magic number is six. They need six points from their three games. Now, they should win all three, but you just never know. Bournemouth away, United's away form is awful, so maybe, maybe they slip up there, which would mean they need to win their last two, home to Chelsea, home to Fulham. And it's not outside the realms of possibility that they drop points in one of those. It really isn't. So still a lot to play for there for the top four battle. Crystal Palace 2, Bournemouth 0, Eberichi Eze with both goals on 39 and 58. A very, very straightforward win for Palace. Bournemouth, safe, nothing to play for. I think their away form has been fairly crap all season. So, you know, it's it's the home form that's that's done them uh done them a lot of favours. I think um I think Palace will be chuffed with how they're finishing the season. They're twelfth, forty three points, same as Chelsea. They've they've put together a good run under Roy. And, you know, they don't have to worry about what happens in the next two games. They finished the season away to Fulham, which obviously is a, a local, well, a London derby. And then they get Forrest in the final day. And, you know, Roy might do Steve Cooper a favour. Might just do him a favour in that one. Um... Bournemouth again, like what an achievement. What an amazing achievement to stay up the way they have. And I, I wrote them off multiple times. I hold my hands up. I was completely wrong. I was convinced they'd go down. But I think you have to give huge credit to Gary O'Neill, huge credit to the players, huge credit to the new owners who come in in January and were brave and put the money where their mouth is. And they go to Old Trafford. Sorry, they host, host United next. And then they go to Goodison with absolutely nothing on the games other than pride. And they, it's not outside the realms of possibility that they win both. They've beaten good teams down at Bournemouth this year. Everton are tragically bad. So 
if Everton were to go into that game needing the win with a venomous, nasty Goodison all over their own players from early, maybe nerves go and maybe Bournemouth come out of there with a win. Strange things happen in this league and I don't think that would be all that strange. Everton nil, Manchester City 3. Ilke Gundogan on 37 minutes with a phenomenal goal. Absolutely phenomenal goal. Contender for goal of the season. Then Erling Haaland on 39, just two minutes later, with Ilke Gundogan providing an, an immense assist. Great cross. Great header by Haaland. And then on 51, um, it's 3-0. It's Gundogan again. It's a free kick. I would love to hear an explanation as to what Jordan Pickford was doing. If anybody can explain that to me, I'd love to hear it. I've spent more time than I care to think of arguing with people about Jordan Pickford, people saying he's a top goalkeeper. He just isn't. He just isn't. He's too small to be a top goalkeeper in the modern game, for starters. But, like, he's too emotional he doesn't have good fundamentals. His decision-making is is very sketchy. And, like, his footwork for that goal, it's just awful. Like, it's not like Gundogan put it in the top corner. It was fairly central. It was a fairly easy save to make. And he, do you ever see a child when they're, like, six and they're in goal and they dive at the ball in funny ways? That's what it looked like. That really is what it looked like. Um... Great win for City, and we'll come back to their end of season. But for Everton, it's still a perilous situation. They're 17th. They're one point ahead of Leeds. Their last two games are Wolves away, Bournemouth home. They should they should win that Bournemouth game at home because they're at home. But I just I find it very hard to trust this team to do anything right. I really do. And I do wonder if they lose... Let's say they lose to Wolves. And let's say Leeds go and upset West Ham and beat them because West Ham have rested everybody. Then Everton go into that final day needing to win. Needing to win. A draw won't be enough. They would need to win to have a chance of staying up. It's not even guaranteed that if they did win, they'd stay up. Because if Forrest beat Crystal Palace or beat Arsenal, which is unlikely, but, you know, strange things happen. If Leeds beat Spurs, then Everton could win and still go down. And with that kind of pressure, this team doesn't react well to pressure. They really don't. And if it wasn't for what what we need to just say was a complete fluke incident where they went to... Brighton and everything went right for them and everything went wrong for Brighton. Everton would be, I think, right now, pretty much nailed on to go down. Because that game massively helped their goal difference. They'd be on 29 points. If Brighton had gone there and spanked them, they'd be on 29 points with a worse goal difference than Forest and a much worse goal difference than Leeds. Meaning Leeds would only need one point in that last game from the last two if Everton lost 
to Wolves, Everton have been just terrible. Absolutely terrible. And I keep seeing people say, oh, that's them safe. The, the win over Brighton keeps them safe. I, I, I don't know that it does. I really don't know that it does. That game was a complete fluke. You play that game 10 more times, and I reckon Brighton walloped them at least seven. Everton are not good. They're not good at all. I don't know what it is, whether it's just a complete lack of confidence, because there's there's a lot of good players there. It's not like there's bad players at Everton. And the team that played City was the same as the team that played Brighton, with one exception. There was a change at left-back. But you're not telling me that Holgate coming in for for a game makes that much of a difference. I know City are, are a better team than Brighton, but it's an, like an eight-goal swing. The performance level was completely different. It's genuinely... Everton were awful at the weekend. Uh, we'll come back to City, like I said. Brentford 2, West Ham nil. Brian and Bomo and Johan Wiesa with the goals. Brentford battered them. It could have been 6 or 7. Um, they missed some big chances. Fabianski made a couple of decent saves. He also made some big howlers in the game because he's just that type of goalkeeper. West Ham rested some players ahead of the second leg against Alkmaar, but they better hope they beat Alkmaar and go on and win this final. Because if they don't, what a disaster this season has been. 15th, behind Bournemouth, behind Wolves, behind Palace, behind Fulham and Brentford and Villa, all teams that were well ahead of last season. Just really, really poor all year. Um, Final game then. Arsenal nil, Brighton three. Again, this is why I say that result was a complete fluke. Because Brighton just went to the Emirates and didn't just beat Arsenal. They wiped the floor with them on their own pitch. First half, Brighton dominated the ball. Arsenal had a couple of half chances, but nothing you'd really write home about. Second half, Brighton turned it up a notch and Arsenal couldn't live with them. And Cecil scored on 51. Undav with a lovely lofted finish on 86. And a stupid and put the icing on the cake on 96 minutes. And Brighton were good value. Arsenal couldn't even argue. No Arsenal fan could come out after that game and say that they deserved anything from that game. And of course, a lot of the excuses started. Oh, we didn't have William Saliba. Right. Right, what else? What else did you not have? Well, Trossard had to come on early because Martinelli got injured. All right, Trossard has actually been really good since you signed him. So, like, what else is the issue? Oh, we've run out of steam. Uh, Okay, fair enough. But you just got embarrassed on your home pitch. And now, from being five points clear... Well, actually, being eight points clear with nine games left, City had a game in hand. You're now four points behind and City still have a game in hand. 
That's a 12-point swing in seven games. City only need, because of the goal difference advantage, they only need two points from their last three games. Arsenal's max now is 87, so they won't get to 90. They should win both of their last two games. They play Forest away, they play Wolves at home, but I don't know that I trust them to go and beat Forest now. Like, it's over. The title race is over. There is no coming back from this. There is zero chance City don't pick up at least two points from their last three. City's next game is home to Chelsea, managed by Frank Lampard. One win in eight. City are winning that game. City won't even need to take the pitch to win the title if Arsenal lose to Forest. If Arsenal draw with Forest, then it's pretty much over anyway because the goal difference is so drastic. So City could lose all three if Arsenal only draw with Forest. Then final day out of the Arsenal home to Wolves. They should win that, but again, they should have they should have beaten Southampton at home. And I've, we've talked a lot about you know, the last 10 games. That's when the title race starts. The last 10 games is the title race. It's not in December or January or February or even March. It's April and May. That's the title race. And if we look at Arsenal in April and May, they beat Leeds. They throw away a two-goal lead against Liverpool. They throw away a two-goal lead against West Ham. They draw 3-3 with the side bottom in the league in Southampton and need late goals to get back into that one. They get walloped by City. They beat Chelsea, who were absolutely terrible on the night. They got a really good win away to Newcastle. But they had some luck in that one. Newcastle hit the post early, thought they had a penalty. Arsenal, while Newcastle were still a bit shook at not getting the penalty, Arsenal capitalised and scored. Newcastle would hit the post again and Fabian Schaar missed a sitter. So Newcastle could easily have gotten something. They could have beaten them in that game. Arsenal weren't hugely convincing. Like I said at the time, it was their best win of the season. It wasn't their best performance of the season. And then they get spanked at home by Brighton. But somebody pointed something interesting out to me today. Arsenal, through 50 games, sorry, sorry, through 19 games, took 50 points. That's really impressive. Really impressive. Since then, in the last 17 games, they've only taken 31. That's not even top four level form across almost the second half of the season. Now, if they were to win their last two games, that would be 37, which would be 74, which is top four form. But let's say they win one and draw one. Well, that's 70 points. That's not getting you top four this year. So runaway title form, centurion form through 19 games. The first 19, no pressure. 
no pressure. The last 19, not so good. Arsenal are what I thought they were. A team who massively overperformed when there was no pressure on them. When they had no injuries and everything was going their way. As soon as things turned around... You get defeated Everton, draw it home with Brentford, lose to City, and then what's happened in April and May. So just bear that in mind. When Arsenal fans tell you what an amazing season they had, they were great through 19 games. But 19 games is not the season. You could even argue they were great through the end of March. But March is not the season. Title race hasn't begun. The bottom line of it is they came into April. They came into the last nine games with an eight-point lead. And now they're four points behind. And there's still two games left. It's a 14-point swing. In seven Arsenal games. And that's just not going to cut the mustard. You're not going to win titles. When you finish seasons like that. And when Arsenal fans say. Oh now we know how Liverpool fans feel. No you don't. Your max is 87. Liverpool got 97. And didn't win the league. Last season, they got 92 and didn't win the league. You don't know what what Liverpool went through because you haven't gone through it. You haven't even come close. Liverpool took it to the final day of the season in 18-19 and last season. While also, it should be pointed out, getting to the Champions League final in 18-19 and winning it getting to the Champions League final last year and winning both Cups. They also won a league title in 1920. And if we're being really honest, if Liverpool were anything like what they'd been in previous seasons, they would be above Arsenal. And if we're being really honest, if you're you're picking a combined Liverpool-Arsenal 11, there's very few Arsenal players in the team. Allison is the goalkeeper. It's not even close. It's not even close. This season, any season, it's not close. We're going to go with Liverpool's formation because they've got the better manager. <clears throat> so Klopp would be the manager. So your back three would be Kanate, who's better than Saliba, Van Dijk, who's better than anybody Arsenal have, and Gabriel, who's better than Andy Robertson in that role. Trent would be the right back who steps into midfield. He's a significantly better player than Ben White. Can we all just take a moment and pray for the soul of Ben White, which was snatched by Matoma yesterday? Trent, James and Walker all got taken to the Matoma University for getting embarrassed as a right back. And now Ben White is the latest graduate of that school. Absolutely rinsed yesterday. Trent is in. The holding midfield role 
Thomas Partey has been better this season. Fabinho was better in previous seasons. Thomas Partey is a reprehensible character. He's not getting in my team. So I'm going to put Fabinho in. You can argue with the wall. The front three is Salah. Maybe Jesus, but I would prefer Gakpo because of his size. And Diaz. Now, the two advanced eight slash tens would be Odegaard and Saka. There are three Arsenal players that make a combined 11. There's a case for Jesus, but I would prefer Gakpo. I don't believe there's yet a case for Martinelli. Two up and down. But Salah is definitely in. Trent is definitely in. Virgil's definitely in. Kanate is definitely in, and Allison is definitely in. I think there's three Arsenal players. You can make cases for two others, but that's it. And when you look beyond that, Liverpool are stronger again. Jota, Nunes, Thiago, Andy Robertson, people like this. City are as good as champions. And as I said, if Arsenal fail to beat Forest next weekend, City will be champions. A defeat and it's over. A draw, it's pretty much over anyway because of the goal difference. City's goal difference, plus 61. Arsenal's is plus 41. That's as good as an extra point for City. Arsenal need City to lose two of their last three games and draw one to have a chance. It's not happening. Manchester City are Premier League champions for the third year in a row, the fifth time in six six years. And congrats to them. We have one game in the Premier League tonight. It's Liverpool versus Leicester. I've talked about it in the Daily Red. You can go and listen to that there if you want. We had some championship games, and we'll do these before we go to break. We'll do the lower league stuff. Uh, Sunderland 2, Luton Town 1. Adebayo put Luton 1 up on 11 minutes with a close-range goal off a set piece. Ahmed Diallo scored an absolutely outrageous free kick on 39 minutes to draw Sunderland level. And Trey Hume equal, uh, sorry, gave Sunderland the 2-1 win on 63 minutes after a good header from a great Jack Clark cross. Now, <clears throat> something to note with this um, with this Sunderland team. They basically played a back three with wingers as fullbacks. Patrick Roberts, who's a left-footed attacking midfielder, played as the right wing back, and Jack Clark, who's a right-footed winger, played as the left wing back. The centre-backs were Trey Hume, Northern Ireland international, actually a defender. Luke O'Nine, who, when he joined Sunderland, was more of an attacking midfielder, did anything. At Wickham, he played largely as an attacking midfielder. When he first went to Sunderland, he was an attacking midfielder. Uh, He played in the middle of a back three. And then 
Lyndon Gooch, who's a winger, played as the other member of the back three. Tony Mowbray took a big risk with his team here and got the reward, got a deserved win. But that team was mental. This was a good game of football. If you missed it, you missed out. This was a good game of football. Um, the other game was, you know, less joyful. Uh, Coventry nil, Middlesbrough nil. Coventry 11 shots in the game, none on target. Borough had five shots in the game. They did get two on target. That puts Borough in a strong position for the second leg. They'll be confident of winning at home. They should be confident of winning at home. They were the better team over the course of the season than Coventry. And we may well, we may well get a weird tease derby in the playoff final. And Newcastle might be getting some company up there in the frozen north um, for next season in the Premier League. In League One, Peterborough 4, Sheffield United nil, Sheffield Wednesday nil. Jack Taylor, Joe Ward, Kwame Poku and Johnson Clark Harris. A dominant, comprehensive win for Peterborough. What's mental about this is that Wednesday finished 19 points higher in the table. 96 points. Two points off Ipswich, who went up automatically. Peterborough got in on the final day, finishing one point ahead of Derby because Derby lost and they won. Otherwise, Derby would have been in the playoffs. And yet, Peterborough absolutely wiped the floor with Wednesday. And that gives them, obviously, a pretty much insurmountable lead going into that second leg. In the other tie, Barnsley won Bolton nil. Nicky Cadden scored on 63 minutes for Barnsley. Dion Charles equalised four minutes later for Bolton. That one is nicely set up for the second leg. You'd imagine it's Peterborough versus one of the one of the Bs. Uh, then in League Two, Salford City won. Stockport nil. Matt Smith with the only goal of the game for Salford. Bradford City won. Carlisle nil. Jamie Walker on 18 minutes with the only goal for Bradford. So as things stand, it's the teams that finished 6th and 7th who would contest the playoff final. And the teams that finished 4th and 5th would be saying goodbye for this season. But Stockport at home will have the advantage over Salford. Even with Salford having the one-goal lead, I think Stockport stand a great chance. Carlisle Bradford was pretty much neck and neck all season. They finished on the same number of points. Carlisle just had a better goal difference. Their last four results mirrored each other. Draw, win, loss, draw. Uh, So they're very evenly matched. I think that could be an interesting one in the second leg. And then last but not least, the National League playoff final. This turned out to be a belter of a game. Andrew Robert Dallas scored a penalty for Chesterfield on six minutes. And from there, it, it seemed like it was... Chesterfield going up. Notts County just couldn't find a goal. 88 minutes. John Bostock makes it 1-1. Sends the game to extra time. On we go. Armando Dobra puts Chesterfield 2-1 up on 93 minutes. And again, it looks like Chesterfield has done enough 
But Ruben Rodriguez scores in 108 minutes and it's 2-2. Couldn't find a winner in the last 12 minutes. On to penalties we go. And it is Notts County winning 4-3 in the penalty shootout to go up. Fully deserved. You have to feel for Chesterfield. But it would have been so cruel if Notts County hadn't gone up. 107 points on the season. 23 points more than Chesterfield. The right team are going up. Wrexham and Notts County absolutely earned this. Both of them had phenomenal seasons. Both of them will be a welcome addition back into the Football League. And they'll, I think they'll uh, cause some some stirs in, in League Two. I don't think anyone will be looking forward to facing either of those teams next season. I think they, they'll be fairly powerful going up into League Two. Not saying they'll get promoted or anything, but I think both of them will be comfortably mid-table, upper mid-table potentially. Um, Right, we'll take a break from there. And when we come back, it's basically just some news and the gossip. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. There isn't actually a ton of news. There isn't actually a ton of news. Um, We won't get into the other leagues that have been uh, finished. We'll do that tomorrow. We'll go over the other leagues around Europe. We might just go into a proper deep dive and look at all the leagues around Europe and see how they've all played out. Uh, Joan Laporta, the president of Barcelona, has said that Barcelona is Messi's home. It is very much setting up for Lionel Messi to return home this summer and go to Barcelona, play a year, maybe two. And I still think he ends up in MLS, but he might just go home to Argentina. That very much is in play. I don't see him taking the Saudi offer. I know he's an ambassador for the country, but I just think he'll go to Barcelona this summer. I think that's what he wants to do. While he's still a great player, an elite player, I think he'll stick in Europe. He might well take that Saudi money, though, in a year or two. Because, I mean, that is unthinkable wealth. And he could go and buy any club he wants at that point in Argentina. And I would assume it would be Newell's Old Boys. But, you know, he can do pretty much whatever he wants. Um Minister wants sanctions in anti-homophobia campaign. Minister calls for sanctions sanctions against players who missed the anti-homophobia campaign in France this year. Amelia Udo Castera. Now she should keep her mouth closed, but a lot of stuff after her carry on after the um, Champions League final a couple of years ago. The Players Union say they were astonished that players were asked to take part in this campaign. Look, there's a lot of different things that goes into this. Personally, personally, I think players should be given the choice. I, I don't think it's homophobia for, the, for certain players of certain religions not to join in. That, that would be my view. I think you have to re- request or you have to respect, rather, people's religious beliefs but I, it's a very tricky situation I don't think you can sanction players though I think that's just 
I think that's just silly talk, to be honest. Um, Paul Pogba got injured again in his first start in over a year. What a disaster that move to Juve has been for everybody involved, especially the club. It was a bad decision to bring him back, um, having watched how things at United turned out. It was just a poor decision. He's still got two years left in his contract. This season, he's made six appearances in Serie A, uh, 10 in all competitions. He's played a total of 161 minutes. He is earning huge money. Now, injuries are not his fault. They're not. But he picked up a lot of injuries at United, and that should be a red flag. Um, You never like to see a player injured, especially one as talented as Pogba. And I genuinely believe Paul Pogba could have become the best midfielder in the world, an all-time great. He had all the physical attributes, all the talent in the world. It just didn't seem to want it enough. And then his body started to fail him. So I hope he recovers quickly, but I just think Juve made a huge mistake in signing him. Um, Breaking news last night was that Maurizio Pochettino has agreed to return to... England and take the job as Chelsea manager. Now we know that Chelsea have been a mess this season. There's no surprises there. There's no there's no breaking news in that statement. But there's a lot of talent there, and I think people questioning why is he taking this job need to actually take a deep look at that squad. There's an incredible amount of talent at Chelsea. And a manager like Pochettino, who's a noted squad builder, is well fitted at that club. Um, they have agreed terms over a contract, so it does seem like it's just a matter of time before this is confirmed. Uh, David Ornstein reported today that Ilkay Gundogan has not yet made a decision on his future. I was thinking last night, isn't Ilkay Gundogan both one of the most underrated players in the league and also possibly the best big game player in the league? Like this season and last season, when City needed a goal, needed someone to step up and drag them over the line, more often than not, it was Gundogan. The season before 2021, he was robbed of his Football of the Year award. He was the best player in the league. The best player in the league. And yet, Ruben Diaz got Football Writers Player of the Season, which was ridiculous. And De Bruyne, who had a good season, but not as good as as Ilke, was given Players Player of the Year. I think this guy is an incredible player. And I think City will miss him massively when he's gone. He has been, since the day he joined, he has been outstanding. Took him a while to overcome the injuries, but when he played, he was great. And the last five years, he has been incredible for them. Six years, maybe. He's just been incredible. What a player. What an incredible player. Understated. Nothing fancy about his game. Super smart. Technically brilliant. Can shoot off both feet. Can cross with both feet. Can pick any pass with both feet. Just an absolutely fantastic player. 
he will be a huge loss, not just to City, but to the Premier League if he leaves. Um, Ornstein also reported that Chelsea tried to buy Raphael Leao both in the last summer's transfer window and the January summer transfer window, offering Christian Pulisic and Hakim Ziyech in part exchange deals, but Milan wanted no part. Uh, Manchester City's chief operating officer, Mr. Bereda, he has decided, Omar Bereda, he has decided to turn down offers from other European clubs, from MLS clubs, and from an NFL franchise to stay at City, which is uh, is good news for City because they've lost quite a few behind-the-scenes people. Uh, Scott Munn, who'd been the chief executive officer of the City Football Group in China, will join Spurs as their new CEO, I'm sorry, new, new CFO, chief football officer, while Chelsea hired Tom Glick, another executive, to be the president of business. Jason Wilcox left last summer along with Joe Shields to go to Southampton. Shields obviously then moved on. A number of Chelsea, uh, sorry, a number of City staff were poached by Newcastle. Teams want what City have. They want that, that brain trust. They want that qualification. They want that knowledge of what it is to build a winning club. Um, the families of England World Cup players will get £10,000 to support travel costs. That is, of course, England's women's team who will go to the World Cup later this year. It's to be played in Australia and New Zealand. And each player will get ten grand as a travel fund for their friends and family, which is a, a great gesture, a needed gesture by the FA. It's a long-ass trip. As someone that's done that trip, it is not the most fun to do. Uh, Brighton will let you will let Sky use their body cam footage from coaching staff and warming up. So that's a, an interesting development. Um, a former Manchester City masseur, Mark Sir, uh, Mark Sartora, sorry Sartori, uh, has left City and will join Burnley in a senior role in their performance department. So Vincent Company tapping back into his former club. Uh, Russell Martin is flying to America to have face-to-face face-to-face talks with Swansea's owners about his future. He's got 12 months left in his deal. He'd like a new deal. I haven't been overly impressed. He does play a nice brand of football, but I'm not overly impressed by what he's done there. Um, but by all accounts, Leicester and Southampton both have an interest. And I could see him doing well with Southampton if they could keep those young players together. Uh, Bournemouth are planning a documentary in partnership with NFL Films, a kind of David versus Goliath type of thing, which is interesting. Uh, Ross Wilson, former director of football at Southampton and then Rangers, is the new chief football officer at Nottingham Forest. He's very, very intelligent, very good at what he does. I think that's a great move. And he's also started to bring some people with him. So he is bringing Southampton's former head of player insights, Tom Stockwell, to Forrest Whittam. So that's a good move that will help with player relations. And I think Ross Wilson will do a very good job there. I think him and Steve Cooper will be a good pair. Uh, For Liverpool, Another member of the backroom staff is leaving David Woodfine, who'd been the loans manager. He is leaving to pursue new challenges. 
as one more member of Michael Edwards' brain trust out the door. So, you know, strange. Uh, we've got two days worth of gossip because for some reason there isn't one from Sunday. Manchester United are ready to step up their interest in Declan Rice, but Arsenal remain favourites to sign him. He, he will, he'll end up at Arsenal. Uh, Matteo Guendouzi could replace Rice at West Ham. Wouldn't be for me. Good player. Attitude is all wrong. Manchester United were offered the chance to sign Erling Haaland for four million when he's played for Molde, says Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I wouldn't believe a word a former manager has to say about his tenure because it always turns out to be nonsense. Chelsea could move ahead of Liverpool in the race to sign Alexis McAllister by making Levi Colwell part of the swap deal. If they were to do that, I would expect them to get to get Alexis. I just don't know what the purpose of them getting Alexis would be. Now, it could mean that they're going to let Mount leave, play Alexis as their 10, have him rotate with Havertz or whatever. So that that could be the case. Um, Could well be the case. Chelsea and Manchester United are interested in signing Emiliano Martinez. I think he'd make a lot of sense for Chelsea. As a bridge to Slanina, I think he'd make a lot of sense. Does the move make sense for him? Probably with the money that will be involved in terms of wages, yeah, it probably makes sense for him. It is it is life-changing money. Now, look, he's got he's he's a, he's a very wealthy man as it is off his time at Villa, but that will be generational wealth he can make at Chelsea even over four years. He could get a, a four-year deal worth 200 grand a week. That's 10 million a year. After taxes and all that, it's probably 5.5 million a year after everything comes out. It's about 22 million he could earn. That sets up him and his family for a long, long time. Chelsea will allow Thiago Silva to rejoin Fluminese this summer. This has to be Pochettino saying he doesn't want to work with him because he understands that Thiago Silva has been somewhat of a liability. Um, Chelsea will pretend and some certain journalists will pretend like Matt Law that he's been a standout performer, but he hasn't. He played an important role in them winning the European Cup. He sabotaged everything that Tuchel was trying to do after that, though, because he had to play that horrible back three, that uber defensive style of football. And this season, he's not been good. He's not been good. He's been led away with absolute murder by a bunch of different referees. He should have been sent off three or four times this season. Manchester United have opened talks with Napoli's South Korean defender, Kim Min-jae. No, they haven't. Utter nonsense. Uh, Jude Bellingham has agreed personal terms with Real Madrid. I don't believe that he has because I don't think Jude Bellingham is doing anything other than focusing on Borussia Dortmund's end of season. So I would call, I've, I've always called Graham Bailey a spoofer. And it would put Scott Saunders into the same mix. Uh, Tottenham are expected to complete the permanent signing of Dejan Kulisewski. Would be brain dead not to do it. Tottenham are ready to make Roger Ibanez their first major summer signing. I don't think this is true. He's a good defender, though. And he would make sense for Spurs if they were willing to play him in the middle of the back three. Now, he can't play the right-sided role because that is where you've got Romero. But in the middle of a back three, I do think Ibanez would be good. He's a good defender. He's 24, so still has plenty of room for development. I tend to trust defenders that 
Atalanta have scouted in the past, and they brought him to Europe from Fluminese before Roma got him. So I, I do tend to trust the process there. But you don't want him on the left of the back three, not not in the Premier League. He'll get exposed because he'll be asked to cover too much size, too much space on the wrong side. But in the middle role, I think he could fit well. Brighton are close to agreeing a deal for Mo Dahoud when his Borussia Dortmund contract expires. I think he'd be a good signing for them. Arsenal are interested in Mohamed Simakin of RB Leipzig. Uh, as a backup to Saliba, he'd be a good fit. He's he's a very good defender and he's versatile as well. Can play right back and play holding midfield. Um, I could see that making sense. Tottenham and Manchester United must pay forty million if they want to sign David Rea from Brentford this summer. It's a little bit high, but I can see someone paying it. Newcastle could bid thirty million for Bayer Leverkusen's Amin Adley. Um, I don't think Amin Adley will leave Leverkusen this summer. I think there's others that will leave ahead of him. Nottingham Forest's England midfielder Jesse Lingard has been offered to Besiktas when his contract ends this summer. That's about the right move for him. That is about the right move for him. Uh, he's been largely dreadful this season. Manchester United are back in the hunt for Adrian Rabio. Rabio Casemiro would work as a two. Real Madrid remain interested in killing Mbappe, but will not pay a transfer fee to sign him. Madness. Maurizio Pochettino set aside a three-year deal to become Chelsea's manager. Um, Pochettino's arrival is coming too late to save contract negotiations with Mason Mount. I wouldn't be surprised... I wouldn't be surprised if he said, we just keep him regardless. I want him kept. But we'll see what happens. Rumours and rumblings are that Chelsea are now very confident that they're going to keep him. Uh, Brighton manager Roberto De Zerbi is expecting Moises Caicedo and Alexis McAllister to leave the club this summer. It's not actually what he said, but, you know, that doesn't create clicks like this one. Uh, Dutch striker Wout Weghorst will hold Talks with Burnley manager Vincent Company wants his loan spell at Manchester United ends. I wouldn't be surprised if he's starting for Burnley next season because Burnley do need a striker. He fits the bill of what they want considering they've played Ashley Barnes much of the season. So wouldn't surprise me at all if he's Burnley starting nine next season. Crystal Palace are interested in signing Lyon's French striker Moussa Dembele this summer. Counts as homegrown because he was in the Fulham Academy for a number of years. He's got Premier League experience. He's a good player. He's a really good player. Um, and there's a nice little Celtic link up because they've got Edouard, who was bought to replace Dembele. And I actually think the two of them together would work quite well. So I think that would be a good signing because he's had a contract. So that would be a good signing by Palace. Uh, Manchester United have joined Arsenal in the race for Mohamed Simikin. AC Milan remain keen on keeping Brahim Diaz. I just, I don't know why. I just, I just, I can't get on board with him at all. Um, Thiago Silva's wife, Belle, has confirmed that he intends to stay at the club next season. Um, did she? Where did she confirm this? Yeah, meh. Um, Paris Saint-Germain are set to take their loan deal. Are set to make their loan... What? Oh, sorry. Paris Saint-Germain are set to make their loan deal for Hugo Ekatiki permanent, but... Eintracht Frankfurt remain interested in the player. Super talented. He's been on loan with an obligation to buy. It's not an option. It's an obligation to buy. Um, So they have to buy him. They don't have a choice in it. But he hasn't had a great season. 
largely because he hasn't had the opportunities that he needs. Super, super talented. I, I, I would like to see them let him leave on loan next season. Um, Gavi has denied links with a move, move to the Premier League and says Barcelona at the club of his dreams. Real Madrid want to sign Victor Osman. Of course they do. Uh, that's it. That's all I've got today, folks. Thanks as always. I will see you tomorrow. Enjoy your evening. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.